Here's the rundown of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Number one, stupidity is the real pandemic. Number two, NFL wide receivers offseason training regimen includes cigars. Number three, Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry is all class in his season-ending interview. And number four, every career has a shelf life. This is the Cigar Dave Show with the General. Well, I am surrounded by some tremendous accoutrements and cigar goodies that I will enjoy during the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. I had the chance to visit and spend a, a whole afternoon at Davidoff USA headquarters just across the bridge in uh, the Cigar City area of Tampa, Florida, USA, and uh, got all the rundown of some great cigars that are going to be introduced in 2024 and came away with some fabulous goodies that I will share with you. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Hashtag Save America. Hashtag MAGA. Hashtag Trump 2024. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Davidoff of Geneva and their Camacho portfolio of cigars, including the Camacho Triple Maduro. With a four-country blend of all Maduro tobaccos, Camacho Triple Maduro delivers an explosion of bold, earthy flavors, including cedar, pepper, and subtle sweetness. The Camacho Triple Maduro, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. And by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Pure Evil. Blended for cigar connoisseurs, able to handle a full-flavored cigar loaded with strength, power, and richness. Don't let the name fool you. Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. As always, I come to you from Command Center Alpha, Humidor 1A. Well, not always, as there are times when I do uh, travel and we move our theater of operations to various parts across the country and the world. But we are front and center from Command Center Alpha, Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Stupidity is the real pandemic. I have spoken to you for a while now about the rampant stupidity that is emblematic, not only in the country, but around the world. And I said to you, and I have stated, that I believe 50% of the world is stupid. Now, let me just give you a caveat. Just because somebody is educated does not mean they are smart. When I say someone is stupid, this has nothing to do with their education level, whether they are a college graduate, post-college, a master's degree, PhD, MD, DDS, uh, 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 JD, whatever, makes no difference on educational level. It makes no difference on income level, on socioeconomic status, zero. I know plenty of extremely high net worth individuals who are stupid, yet at the same time, correction, who are smart, yet at the same time stupid. And you see this all over the place. People that don't, ha don't have common sense, people that just, you look at them and say, how the hell do these people achieve their success when they really, truly are stupid? And I'm going to give you <clears throat> some examples here because this has with, lingered with me the past, I don't know, three weeks or so since the start of the new year. Different events that have taken place 
And I keep saying to myself and saying to all the others around me, stupidity is a pandemic. And now I am upping my percentage of the number of people that I believe in the world are stupid. From 50%, I moved it to 55%. Then I said 60 I was wrong. It is now 65%, and I believe that it could hit 70%. The good news, all of you who are alphas, cigar connoisseurs, we have many women who like being around alphas, who want alpha males, We are not in the stupid category. We have common sense. We are up to date on current events. We can think constructively and critically, and we are not afraid of debate. When I see people that run away from debate, the Dems, the Libs, the Socialists, the Marxists, they're insecure. They know that they cannot rationally uphold their ultra-leftist position When you are dealing in debate with conservatives, people with common sense that have facts, you cannot beat fact. When you have fact on your side in a debate, you cannot lose. You also need confidence. You need bravado, which, of course, I have all of those. And that's why whenever I debate anyone, here's exactly what happens. They start on a point, and I engage them in debate and I rebut their points, I provide facts, and we go back and forth. And after about five minutes, maybe 10 minutes tops, they get so exasperated because every time they try to throw some point at me, I rebut it and bury it into the ground mercilessly. And they always say in an exasperated tone, that's it, I can't, I can't talk to you, I can't, I can't be rational with you, I'm done. And they all run away with their heads between their tuchuses. By the way, if you don't know what a tuchus is, Yiddish word for ass. They run with their head right up their ass. But tuchus is a little bit of a, I think, a more elegant statement. And it sounds better, too. So you now have tuchus. Not tuchus, not tuchus, tuchus. Like chutzpah. Got to have the ch in the back of the throat. These enemies of democracy, these ultra-leftists, these socialists, these Marxists, they cannot engage in rational debate. So they run. They hide. They're insecure. But stupidity is rampant. And I have in front of me now about five different examples that I'll share with you. And I'm sure, as I discuss this with you, I am sure you are nodding your head saying, General, oh, oh, I've got another one. Yep, I can add that to the list. I can. You see it every day. Every day you go out, I shake my head and say, how stupid are these people? And the answer is, they're really stupid. So here's the first example. This past week, I am leaving the Publix parking lot. Publix, big supermarket, for those of you that may not live in the Southeast. Publix started in Florida, for many, many years, for decades, it was a the number one supermarket in Florida. They've expanded. They're now in Georgia. I believe they're in North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama. Uh, I think they're in Tennessee, maybe even Kentucky. But they are, they've expanded. They're, but they're primarily, most of their stores are concentrated in, I mean, they're everywhere in Florida. Everywhere. Florida, Georgia, and, and in other parts. Very well-run store. The... I was started by George Jenkins in Lakeland, Florida. I want to say maybe in the 30s, 40s, and it's just grown. 
and their slogan for many years, Publix, where shopping is a pleasure. And we love pleasure here on the Cigar Dave Show. It's all about pleasure. Alpha male good life pleasure maneuvers. So I like to go to Publix. Their stores are clean. They're very responsive. I happen to be leaving, and I'm driving out towards one of the exits, and right next door to the Publix, they have a Publix liquor store. You cannot, you can sell beer and wine in a supermarket in Florida, but you must have a separate liquor store to sell the distilled spirits, the hard stuff. As I am walking, as I am driving, there's a car in front of me. <clears throat> there's a stop sign, nobody crossing, slowly starts to, good thing he was going very slow, slowly starts to move, and this woman comes out of the Publix liquor store with, in her right hand, a case of 24 Coors, I think it was Coors or Coors Light, silver bullets, big case in her right hand, and in her right arm, and then in her right hand, she's got a bag that probably had a a couple of bottles of distilled spirits, and then in her left hand, she had a bag, and then she is on her cell phone, and it looked like it was an iPhone, and she's got it to her ear. Now, remember, she's got Underneath her right arm, she's got a, a, a case, a pack of 24 Coors Silver Bullets. Right hand, she has a bag. Left hand, she has a bag. Her head is cocked at about a 60-degree angle, and I'm demonstrating. You can't see it, obviously, but I am simulating it. In fact, I've got my phone right here. So I've got my, my, my iPhone, all right? And what I'm doing is I'm putting it, I'm using my hand now, I am tilting my head at about a 50 degree angle and my shoulder is raised and I basically have the iPhone sandwiched between my cheek and my shoulder. And you've seen this many times. I'm sure many of you sometimes have done the same thing. But you've seen this. But here's the difference. She comes out of the Publix liquor store, hands full, iPhone cocked against her cheek and her shoulder, And obviously, you can't turn because if she turns, the phone is going to pop out. She walks straight ahead without even looking to see if there's traffic to the right or to the left. Now, I ask you, is this exhibit A of stupidity? In unison, you are all answering, absolutely. Walks straight ahead doesn't even look, and is walking at a brisk pace. So all of a sudden, the gentleman that's driving ahead of me, and that's why I always say, smart people always drive slowly when you are in parking lots, supermarket parking lots, mall parking lots. I don't care what parking lot. Slow is key, especially if you're backing out. I can't tell you the number of people that I see that, Watch people backing out of a space and zoom right by. Don't even stop. Again, stupidity. And one thing that my father, Dr. Z, always taught me is whenever you are backing out of a spot, whether it's in a parking lot, you are leaving, uh, parked on on a street or in in a lot, always drive slowly because there are those that will not be looking to see where they're going They won't look when they back out. And if you're going slowly, you can hit the brakes. No problem. Avoid any sort of collision. But if you're going quickly, too late. So I always learn that lesson, and I still drive slowly in parking lots. And it is amazing to me how many people in cars 
Do not give way to pedestrians. Drive incredibly fast in parking lots, seeing pedestrians trying to cross. And again, there's another perfect example of blatant stupidity. And it has nothing to do with our education level. And it has nothing to do with their socioeconomic status. Stupid is stupid. So this woman darts across. This gentleman, luckily, is going slowly. And you think she's going to stop, all right? Because he's already going through where the stop sign was. Uh Uh-uh. She continues going. Luckily, he hits his brakes. She came within six inches of hitting his left front bumper. And finally, he honks, you know, loudly, and she kind of turns around. I mean, her whole body has to pivot because she can't just turn her head and doesn't say a thing. Not a thing. Just keeps, keeps walking. Well, as soon as I pass and I see her, I roll down my window. I said, excuse me. I said, you're lucky you didn't get creamed. I said, maybe you should look both ways and maybe take the phone out while you're leaving. She just kind of looked at me, tried to shake her head and kept walking. Now, this woman was not 15 years old. Clearly not. She had to be at least 21 to purchase booze. I estimate she was probably in her late 30s, early 40s. So she's not a kid. But the mere fact that she didn't nod and say, yep, yep, you're right, oblivious. So what will probably happen is this dumb broad will do it again and will probably get creamed or get killed. And would I feel sorry for her? Absolutely not. Why? Because she blatantly is not using common sense. She is being blatantly stupid. And when people try to point out, as I did, hey, you should really watch it, didn't give a shit. Didn't give a damn. Kept walking. That is a perfect example of stupidity. Has nothing to do, and she, for all I know, she may have been a Rhodes Scholar. I have no idea. But clearly she used no common sense. So that is Exhibit A. Let's go to Exhibit B. Boeing. We saw just a few weeks ago an Alaska Airlines 737 MAX 9 that had a part of the fuselage, the window that it, it's, it, it's normally an emergency exit, but in different configurations, they can bolt it, and therefore it's not an active exit. Well, it turns out, it, obviously we all know by now, the, the, that, that panel flew out. Luckily, nobody was blown out of the, of the aircraft and nobody was injured, seriously injured, or killed. Now, I have been on a rant against Boeing the last umpteen years since they came out with those 737 craps, as I call them. Not the 737 Max, 737 crap. Go back in any of our archives. Do a search. Go to CigarDave.com and do a search and you will find. I have been talking about all the engineering problems with the 737 craps. And I will not regurgitate that now. But they're all very well known. Now the, the investigation has concluded that on that particular aircraft, after the, that, that window was installed or after that panel was installed, that at the factory, it was taken off, put back on, but the Boeing workers who ended up putting it back on did not put it on correctly. Now there's questions, did they even know how to put it on correctly, and did they use the proper bolts and, and, and 
Did they even have them properly tightened? Well, clearly they didn't. And this has been a tremendous problem for Boeing. Boeing was the gold standard of worldwide aviation and engineering. Boeing was loaded with engineers. I've spoken to retired Boeing engineers in the past because I'm a pilot, I'm an aviation enthusiast. And along the way, I've met some retired Boeing engineers. And I always tell them, I said, boy, the first flight I ever took was on a United 727 workhorse. And I met one guy that said, oh, yeah, I worked on the 727. Another guy said, yep, I worked on the 747, the queen of the skies. These engineers were proud. They, and this is, remember, before there were computers where they did CAD drawings, everything had to be done by hand. And at the time, they created aircraft without computers that were the absolute gold standard, built like tanks. 727, first the 707, then the 727, then the 737, obviously the 747. But when you take a look at all their aircraft, they were the gold standard. Their engineers were held in incredible high esteem. Today, Boeing is an absolute disaster. It's an embarrassment. And it all began when Harry Stonecipher, who was the CEO of McDonnell Douglas, when McDonnell Douglas and Boeing merged, he basically came in and said, we will be taken over, we're a takeover target unless we start focusing on costs. We need to cut costs. It's all profitability. Well, what happens when you you essentially place profitability over engineering and reliability? We all know the answer. We're seeing it right now. When you take engineers out of the equation and minimize their input. At one time, if an engineer said, this doesn't go, this doesn't fly, this this has to be re-engineered. It's not acceptable. The CEO, the senior executives would say, fine, do it, get it right. Instead, you had Harry Stonecipher. I don't believe he's alive anymore. And then you had other, the, the former CEO, whose name escapes me, who was, believe it or not, an engineer, but unfortunately couldn't get out of the cost-cutting, penny-pinching financial dilemma that they were in where everything was cost, cost, cost instead of product, product, product. And we all know if you focus on product, the sales will come later and the profits will come later. But when you focus strictly on cost, your product will suffer. Look at the broadcasting industry. I can tell you. Having been in broadcasting since I was 15 years old, I witnessed what took place, especially over the last 10, 15 years in the broadcasting industry. You look at, watch, or listen to any radio station today, they all sound the same. I don't care if you're in Miami, you're in Tampa, you're in Ishpeming, Michigan, you're in, in Duluth, Minnesota, or Portland, Oregon. It's owned by usually one of four companies. You have iHeart, as I call it, iDisaster. You've got, you've got Odyssey, which uh, is an amalgamation between Intercom and CBS. They just went Chapter 11, another disaster. Although many of their markets, they still do program locally, as opposed to iHeart, which syndicates everything. And in large markets, their news talk stations are unlistenable. Here in Tampa, Cigar City, our flagship for 20, what, 23 years, News Radio 970 WFLA, great station. When there was any news or, or, or disaster, everyone turned to 970 WFLA. And iHeart came in with bad management and said, let's cut costs. Let's get rid of our live local programming. Let's get rid of our news operation. Let's get rid of any semblance 
of quality entertainment programming and let's just sell all our weekends and we'll call it that'll be like listening to retirement radio like let's let's sell it to ask the proctologist ask the retirement planner they turned a great station into absolute dreck that is unlistenable their morning show now am tampa bay for years was a powerhouse unlistenable today why because they focused on cost instead of product and had they focused on product and on quality, the sales and revenue and profitability would have followed. So when you look at all these companies, whether it's Entercom or it's Beasley Broadcasting or, or uh, uh, Cumulus, which totally destroyed every single great station, uh, including WABC in New York, which is now owned by John Katsimatidis, a local entrepreneur business person who bought it. They're live local, and they are kicking it. They're doing very well. Great, compelling radio to listen to. But this is what happens when you focus on cost instead of on quality and product. My grandfather, Cigar Abe, had a wallpaper and paint business. And he always told me, remember one thing. People will always remember quality over price. But they will always remember garbage. No matter what the price so consequently, if you sell them a product where it works, it's great, it lasts, they're not going to remember price. They're going to remember quality. But if you sell them something garbage, they're going to say, man, that thing was garbage no matter what the price. And all they'll focus on is, oh, man, that thing was cheap. And I tell people, when you are looking at buying something and you compare something, if something may be a little bit more expensive, look at the quality. I'll give you a perfect example. I'm in the, I am now buying several new kitchen knives. Since the Wuhan pandemic, when all restaurants were closed, I got into more grilling, becoming a pit master, smoking briskets and, and steaks, and even cold smoking salmon. Gotten into it. I've gotten into doing more fresh produce, especially when you look at the junk that is in most of the, super, the food that we see in the supermarkets. So I get the organic ingredients and the vegetables, and I want to chop them. Well, I had a basic knife set, nothing great. I sharpened them, kept them fine, but now I'm in the market for better knives. And the market that I'm, the knives that I'm looking for are probably, I could get an equivalent chef's knife, an 8-inch chef's knife, probably something from China for maybe $30, $40, $50, $60. I'm looking at is anywhere between $125 to $180. But I also know that when I buy that, I'm not going to have to replace that in 20 or 30 years. It's going to be in my kitchen. If I keep it properly, if I sharpen it maybe every once a year using a whetstone, if I use the steel, uh, I don't even know what you call that thing, the steel thing where you basically uh, uh, keep the edge. Because what happens is when you look at a, at a, if you go to a restaurant before, let's say somebody is going to uh, a waiter or they're going to, anybody's going to carve steak or roast beef, whatever the case is, you'll notice they have that steel stick. I can't even remember what it's called. And they take the knife and they kind of run it along the side, you know, both ways, a couple of times each side. And I learned what that is for. It doesn't sharpen the knife. What happens is when you look at a knife microscopically, even after it's sharpened, there are microscopic teeth that are in that knife. Well, after you cut, no matter how sharp your knife is, after you go through food, what will happen is those microscopic teeth can bend. So when you use the steel, that steel rod, 
it straightens it out. doesn't sharpen it. And I learned something. So if you keep that straight, you won't have to sharpen your knives more than once a year, depending on your use. If you're in, a, in an industrial kitchen, commercial kitchen, you may have to sharpen them every three months. But for most people in a kitchen, once a year. And I bought a whetstone system to go and sharpen that properly. So if I'm investing in this knife, let's say $180, I know I'm going to have that knife in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. But if I buy a $60 knife, chances are in two, three years, I'm going to have to replace that. And if I buy another $60 knife, I'm going to have to replace that in three years. So at the end of 20 years, have I, made, have I saved money by buying the cheaper knife? The answer is no. Now, that doesn't mean there are knives that are five, six hundred dollars I'm not going to spend that. But if you go out and look for quality, you will always remember the quality. And after you buy it, you'll say, you know, I'm glad I spent the extra 20% or 30% to buy that particular item because I haven't had to replace it. That is a great piece of equipment, no matter what it is. But Boeing went the cheap route. They tried to cut costs on engineering. They didn't engineer what's called a clean sheet design. They kept stretching the 737 and stretching it to the point where it couldn't be stretched. It was a 55-year-old fuselage, and if you wanted to advance with the new engine technology, you had to alter the aerodynamics of the plane. And now Boeing is an absolute disaster area. They replaced their CEO with a former CEO of GE Aviation, which makes, you know, the big engines. And he's been a disaster. And he says, oh, Boeing, we need to be, take more accountability. We need, you know, my question is, what have you been doing the last three years since you've been CEO? What have you been doing to say our entire focus is now on quality, purely on engineering? Nope. Guarantee you their focus has been on the bottom line. And I would like to see a corporate, a CEO one time of a publicly traded company say, our bottom line may take a hit the next six months, next year, maybe even next two years. But we are going to build this company the way it was built initially, through great engineering and great product. And if it costs us five cents more or 3%, 5%, even 10%, in margin, so be it. But we have a duty to create outstanding products for our aviation customers and the safety of our aviation passengers. Have they done that? No. Absolute disaster. And now they're finding that there were other issues in the factory. And now what happens? They saved all this money on engineering instead of doing a clean sheet design, and now the airline customers who have purchased these planes are fed up. They are ticked. They're exasperated. And let me give you a perfect example of what is taking place. Again, what did they save in the long run? Well, their reputation is now probably permanently tarnished, at least for the next decade. Airline, their customers who have ordered these are now trying to get out of orders. They're ticked. And the public has doesn't have the confidence. Before, if you said, I'm going on a Boeing, hey, that's a great plane. There was an old saying for, for pilots. If it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. Nobody says that anymore. I will tell you Airbus makes a far better aircraft than Boeing does. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Airbus, talking about Boeing, what they've done to their reputation by, again, trying to skimp instead of engineering a proper product. Airbus now 
after the latest disaster at, uh, at, with the Boeing 737 crap series, is now trying to persuade customers, specifically the airline, the, the, the leasing companies. What happens is you have airlines like an American or Delta that'll go directly to the manufacturer. So, for example, Delta will go to Airbus and say, you know, we want 100 A321neos, which is their next engine, called NEO stands for next engine option, more fuel-efficient engine. We want 100 of those, and we want to take delivery starting in 2025. We want 18 this year, 20 the following year, 30 the next year. They lay out a long-term plan. It could be three years, five years, 10 years. Remember, airlines are looking already a decade ahead at fleet for fleet planning purposes. So they go to directly to the to the airline or to the uh, to the manufacturer, Airbus, Boeing. However, there are many airlines that don't have that wherewithal and don't want to buy the aircraft. So what they will do is they will go to leasing intermediaries. There are about two, three large ones, and they will say, "Look, we want to lease from you an A three twenty one Neo." Or we want to lease from you a Boeing 787 or three Boeing 787s. So the leasing companies enter into agreements to purchase aircraft from Boeing, from Air, from Airbus, and then they in return lease those and make profit by leasing it. The airline doesn't have to lay out all that capital. They get access to the aircraft. Win-win. Well, the leasing companies order in advance as well. They order three, four, five, eight years, 10 years in advance. So now Airbus is trying to go to these leasing companies saying, look, we will pay you to move your delivery slot, say from 2024 or 2025, 2026 to say 2030, 2028, something along those lines. And the reason they're doing that is because they want to go to United Airlines and be able to say to United, your 737 max 10 orders that you have are incredibly delayed. In fact, the 737 MAX 10, which is a super stretch version uh, that will hold, uh, I don't know, 240 people, something along those lines, but it's the largest stretch version of the 737 craft series. United has committed to buying 277 of those MAX 10s. One problem. The MAX 10 is five years behind on certification. Five years behind. Now imagine you put that order in five years ago, four years ago, and they're saying, hey, we haven't even started on certification, so it's probably not going to be until 2030 until we're able to sell you those aircraft. Well, Boeing plans on 277 of them starting in whatever, next year, the year after. So they now are in a bind. So Airbus being opportunistic, being smart, has now gone to jet leasing firms and airlines and saying, look, we'll buy back the slots of the A3, Airbus A321neo single-aisle jet over the next few years, and now they're trying to work with United. United CEO Scott Kirby gave Airbus reason for optimism this week. He said the airline has started to review its options regarding Boeing. Let me translate that. United is going to get out of their contract with Boeing. When you're five years behind, there are timelines, target timelines that are in the contract. You don't meet them, done. Now, most airlines will say, okay, you're six months behind, eight months a year. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll deal with that. But when you're five years behind, no 
effing chance. Not happening. So what happens? United now is talking to Airbus. And United, if they cancel that order, that is a 277 aircraft order for from Boeing. You don't think Boeing is going to feel that? You can be sure their stock price is going to take a hit. But again, how much did Boeing save in the long run by not engineering that aircraft properly? They're going to lose 277 aircraft. Multiply that times the profit margin. I guarantee you that amount is far greater than they would have saved had they done the job properly. Scott Kirby, the CEO of United, is not the only one that is ticked. American Airlines CEO Robert Isom said this past Thursday on a conference call, Boeing needs to get their act together. The issues they've been dealing with and going back some years now is unacceptable. Again, stupidity. It all boils down to stupidity. Instead of engineering the aircraft properly, instead of saying, look, let's do this properly the first time, and we won't have any issues and we'll be able to sell these aircrafts, nope, stupidity. That's all it is. Stupidity on executives that were paid $30, $40 million a year. A board of directors who are compensated to make smart, intelligent, long-range decisions. By the way, you know how one of the people that was on the board for about a year but got off after the 737 crap nonsense started uh, getting to be a little bit too hot to handle? That would be one Nimrata Haley. And I'm going to address her next. Perfect seg. Stupidity. Nimrata Haley. That's a real name. Nimrata. N-I-M-A-R-A-T-A. It's not Nikki. It's Nimrata. Nimrata Haley, this past week, gets her ass kicked in not only Iowa, but in New Hampshire. Or the, it was two weeks ago, it was Iowa, then New Hampshire. And instead, she's like, we're going on, we're great, whatever. She is clueless. She's got no chance. But she's being backed by these globalists, these billionaires. One of them, Reed Hoffman, the uh, ultra, ultra left loon, a total slob. He's the one that's uh, been backing a lot of these lawsuits, that E. Jean Carroll, or I call her another version, but instead of the, uh, it's another C word, let's put it that way. I'll keep it clean. E. Jean Carroll, he backed her, and the jury yesterday awards what, $82 million? Please. Typical New York ultra-liberal jury. No basis in fact whatsoever. Can't even defend yourself now? Again, stupidity. But Nimrata Haley has no clue, no chance. Still raising money, all these billionaires, because she thinks, and her billionaire global donors think, that if she stays in the race the whole way, that even though she's going to get clobbered, that she would be the de facto choice for VP. Because the the thinking is that Donald Trump, to try to get that Nimrata Haley segment of the party, Republican Party, and some of the supposed female independents, you know, the suburban moms, that by putting her on the ticket, that would be a win and that would put him over the top because he can't win on his own, which is bullshit. He absolutely can. 
And when you see the number of Democrats that crossed over in the New Hampshire primary, it wasn't Republicans voting for her. It was Democrats and left-leaning independents. The reason the globalists and the ultra-liberals, the Dems, the Marxists, why they want to keep funding her campaign and why they want her in as VP so badly is so that she could be a de facto prime minister and within the administration, within the White House, work to defeat President Trump's America First MAGA policies. That's what Mike Pence did. That's what Mike Pence's chief of staff did. That's what all the people that came in after they were never Trumpers, and President Trump, the one thing he learned about these swamp rats. President Trump wanted to say, look, I want to, election's over, let's all work together. He was naive, again, not a politician. He didn't know that all these subversive rats, who now all of a sudden went from never Trumpers to I want a job in the administration, that they wanted a job solely to stop President Trump during his first term from enacting his America First and MAGA policies. That's all they want Nikki Haley, Nimrata, Nimrata Haley for. That's it. Talk about stupid. Nimrata Haley is stupid. And by the way, when she gets her ass kicked in South Carolina, and it's going to get messy in South Carolina, I can tell you that. First, there's Nevada, and she has no chance in Nevada. When we get to South Carolina, it's going to be messy. Why is it going to be messy? Nimrata is not the perfect wife, military wife. She likes to portray herself. There are going to be some stories that have already come out. And, of course, the Marxist media has kept them quiet because they want Haley to challenge President Trump. When it comes out, she's not the doting, loving military wife. Nimrata Haley, or Holy, H-O-E-L-Y, as a ho. There are going to be some interesting stories coming out. It's out. They're affidavits. Fact. One of them involves, I think, being in an escalated getting banged. It's going to get quite juicy. Now let's move to the le- next person on the stupidity list. Sean McChoke McDermott, the head coach of my beloved Buffalo Bills. I've been after him to get fired since the 13-second meltdown in Kansas City, what was it, two seasons ago, when the Bills, Josh Allen leads the team down, takes the lead, 13 seconds to go. Pretty simple. What do you do with 13 seconds? Well, the special teams coordinator at the time said, let's go ahead and we will do a pooch kick, a pooch kickoff. We will basically let it drop to about the 15-yard line. Got to pick it up. You either have to down it at the 10 or 15-yard line, or you're going to pick it up and run, and you're going to knock off about four or five seconds off the clock. That's what all the special teams players were ready for. However, Sean McChoke McDermott overruled the special teams coach and didn't tell anyone except the kicker. Stupid. Number two, with 13 seconds left, Sean McChoke McDermott seizes control of calling the defense from defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. And instead of saying, okay, it's 13 seconds, the first thing we're going to do, no matter what, you tell all your defensive, your your, your cornerbacks, you tell them, make sure you chuck the receivers at the line of scrimmage. I don't care 
if you knock them down, whatever, worst thing that happens within the five yards, number one, you take off, say, five seconds off the play clock, six seconds. And number two, you get flagged for a five-yard penalty for holding. And it's an automatic first down. Big deal. It's five yards. Now, you can't do that a second time because they can call it an unsportsmanlike conduct and assess it 15. But on the second one, you say, we're going we're gonna to have our linemen go, it, go after him, and I want you guys to play tight coverage. Again, by that point, there should have been maybe six, seven seconds left. Instead, he plays all the defensive backs 20 yards, thinking, well, I've just got to keep them you know, from scoring a touchdown when they could have gotten in a field goal range, and that's exactly what happened. They get in a field goal range, they kick the field goal, the Chiefs win it in overtime. Sean McDermott is stupid. He's a simpleton. And this is another example of what we see. He may have some football smarts, but when it comes to in-game decision-making, he is stupid. Now, you can't change that. A leper doesn't change their spots. His brain is wired a certain way. And this is not to be vicious towards Sean McDermott. This isn't to be derogatory. This isn't to be mean. It is simply stating a fact. Some people are stupid. He's in the 65% of the world's population that during in-game situations is stupid. Another example, this past week, the Bills playing the Chiefs. Fourth quarter, 12.49 remaining. Bills are on their own 30-yard line. Calls a fake punt. But instead of the element of surprise where basically you get up to the line, boom, you you. You, you snap that ball so that the defense can't read it. They saw DeMar Hamlin. God bless the kid. Glad that he, he recovered from the terrible off-field incident where his heart stopped in Cincinnati a year ago. Thrilled that he's back. But the guy only took 100 snaps all season. He's the guy you're going to put the ball in his, in his hands and try to get a first down on, on what was it, fourth down and four? Fourth, yeah, I think it's fourth and four, fourth and five. The Chiefs read it. They stuffed it. Luckily, in the ensuing series, the Bills were able to cause a fumble and knock the ball out of the end zone, and it didn't cost the Bills, but it could have. Again, sheer stupidity. And when you have repeated stu- stupid performances like that and stupid decisions, you can't make, and here's the saying that I use all the time, You can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. You can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Sean McChoke McDermott's brain, like many other NFL coaches, and you've seen this, you look and say, these guys are getting paid eight, nine million dollars a year to coach. And you're gonna run the ball on fourth and nine? Or when it's first, or correction, it's let's say third and inches or fourth and inches. You're going to put your quarterback in a shotgun five yards behind the line of scrimmage? You've taken a fourth and inches and turned it into a fourth and five five yards and inches. Again, stupid. Perfect example. Another just textbook example of stupidity. And lastly, this is a classic. Ultra left, big time Dem. Alyssa Milano, actress in Hollywood. She's always against uh, the Republicans, Trump, always whining, always quetching like all these liberals. And what, what, here's the one common trait about liberals. 
Liberals want everyone else to pay, whether it's health care, whether it's social programs. They never want to dig into their own pockets. I always say cigar connoisseurs, I've gone to tons and tons over 28 years of charity events, cigar nights, cigar dinners, and there's always a silent auction. There's always a live auction. And the, the, the generosity of cigar connoisseurs who tend to be more on the conservative right, right side of the aisle, they always dig into their pocket, no questions asked. In fact, there are times when there's a, 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 an item up for bid that maybe is worth $10,000, $5,000, $1,000. They overbid. They know they could go and buy that item without any question cheaper somewhere else. But they all say the same thing. It's going to a good cause. No problem. And in fact, I was at an, an auction down at the Monte Cristo Cup back when Altadas held that. I think it was the one that was in Puerto Rico. And there was a big, big auction item. And I can't remember how much it was, but it was like a $15,000 item. And I can't remember what it was. It was that long ago. And there were two competing bidders. And one of the bidders raised it and he ended up uh, getting it. And the other guy came back afterward and said, listen, you know what? He thought about it for a few seconds. He went over to Jim Colucci, who's the, who was the uh, executive VP of Altadas at the time, who who created the Monte Cristo Cup, in front of everyone, said, Jim, if you offer another package, you know what? I'll match it. Jim said, done. You had two individuals. Again, they could have gotten those packages cheaper if they just bought them. But they're charitable. They know it was going to a good cause. The left wing, the liberals, the Marxists, they want everyone else to pay. They never want to dig into their own pocket. Here is a perfect example of stupidity and tone deafness. Alyssa Milano has a son who's on a youth baseball team. Now, Alyssa Milano is also married to a big-time agent for CAA, one of the big talent representatives. Now, According to various online sources, Alyssa Milano, and nobody knows, is worth $10 million. I think that's tremendously low. And they say her husband's worth five. I'll guarantee her husband's worth way more than five. And so is Alyssa Milano. I mean, if they were combined together worth $30 million minimum, wouldn't shock me at all. Not in the absolute least. So they are both wealthy individuals. No problem. She sends out a tweet. Here's the exact tweet. My son's baseball team is raising money for their Cooperstown trip. Any amount would be so greatly appreciated. You can read more about the team and make a donation here. And she shared a link to a GoFundMe uh, uh, page. Now, I'm looking at that page right now. Let me update that. The goal is $10,000. And this is for them to travel. And it says... Baseball is life, and our teammates are our brothers. Baseball gives us purpose. We're driven to be our very best. In order to compete, we must raise funds. The Birds 12U team is coached by two great coaches, and our team is diverse. Who gives a shit if it's diverse or not? Hardworking and really good. We've won many championship rings. We hope you'll make a donation to keep our team competitive. Your donation will go to travel costs, uniforms, and dues for families. Now, $10,000 in the whole scheme of things. Now, I remember when I was a kid, whether it was in eighth grade, we, we raised money to go to a trip, a three-day trip to Washington. We did all sorts of stuff, whether it was bake sales or car washes. They don't do that. Now, all of a sudden, go to a GoFundMe page or give, send, go, and just let everybody else pick up the tab. What is that teaching these kids 
about work ethic. Nothing. Go beg for the $10,000? Now, I would assume that on this baseball team, there are some parents who are very wealthy, some that maybe are middle class, some that aren't so wealthy. But here's a wealthy actress, Hollywood actress, a celebrity, that easily could have stroked a $10,000 check herself. The chutzpah, the unmitigated gall to go on X and send out a post begging for people to donate to this Little League team is unbelievably stupid and tone deaf. And she was absolutely roasted. Now, you couldn't respond to her tweet because, or her, her post because you couldn't, she had comments turned off. But the people were just roasting her. People saying Americans can't afford groceries. She's worth millions, but she wants others to donate to her kid's baseball team. Here's another one. I remember when raising money for an extracurricular trip actually meant earning money for the trip. You know, car washes, bake sales, recycling drives. Kids actually work for it. I mean, she just got roasted, roasted, roasted. Here's another one. You want to use your platform for a good cause of genuine public importance? Raise money for the Kutzmen, which is the, the uh, 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 you know, another ish, uh, uh, item that's worth donating. But, I mean, this is just unbelievable, the number of people that roasted her, and deservedly so. And I'm looking here, the top donation, and by the way, I don't even see a donation from her. The top donation from a gentleman named Richard Travis just donated five minutes ago $794. I don't know who he is. Maybe he's a member of the team. A fam- I have no idea. Here's Mark Ruffalo, another actor, $200. You are telling me that Alyssa Milano and her wealthy husband couldn't get together with the other parents and say, look, let's do this. There's 10000 to raise. Let's teach the, teach the kids a lesson. We'll all donate as parents. Let's say you get three parents. Five grand, great. We'll each donate $1,600, $1,600 and change. We'll donate the five, but let's get the team to do car washes. Let's get the team to do recycling, whatever, whatever it is. That teaches them a good lesson saying, look, yes, we're going to help you, but at the same time, you're going to learn how to work and that when you want something, you have to work for it. That is an unbelievably prime example of stupidity. Alyssa Milano, multi-multi-multi-millionaire with her husband, having the unmitigated gall and chutzpah to go on to X and beg for donations for her kid's baseball team. What do I say? What did I start this off with, this segment? Stupidity is the real pandemic. I've just given you five examples. I could give you about 15 more. But I've already spent way too much time talking about it. I spent 50 minutes. But again, because I have the ability to be a fine orator without any notes or teleprompter, unlike Joe Biden and unlike Barack Hussein Obama and unlike Bill Clinton, okay? Let me just say this, Alyssa. I'll be happy to give you the $10,000 if maybe you can give me that little, that little treat, that little blowjoy below the table. How about I go to, we go to the dugout and you give me a little blowjoy, sweetheart? But I have giving you countless examples, and I can give you loads more. Stupidity is the real pandemic. No ifs, no ands, no buts. The International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony is next.
Maduro cigar wrappers are known for their unique complexity of flavor that include richness, spiciness, and subtle notes of sweetness. Now, if you take a Maduro wrapper and make an entire cigar of Maduro wrapper and Maduro binder, Maduro filler, what do you get? Camacho Triple Maduro, a Mexican San Andreas Maduro wrapper, a Mexican Corojo Maduro binder, and then Maduro fillers from Honduras, the Dominican Republic, and Brazil, you get a cigar that is dark, rich, full-on flavor, medium to full-bodied, with notes of cedar, roasted nuts, some pepper, and a subtle sweetness. The Camacho Triple Maduro, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Limited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time for National Cigar Lightation Maneuvers. At the beginning of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, I told you that I had the opportunity to spend an entire afternoon at Davidoff USA headquarters. Just over in St. Petersburg, across the bridge from the Cigar City of Tampa. I had not seen their new remodeled offices. They have a beautiful second-story lounge, high ceilings, tables, conference table, high tops, nice uh, kitchen area where you can enjoy cigars and just a great place to work and and bond. And what I did was I, using my Pitmaster Dave skills, I brought over, I've been promising for a while, because Eddie Guerra, who's the director of marketing for Davidoff, a fellow Pitmaster, I said, Eddie, I'll tell you what. Let's get together, and I'll bring a smoked brisket over an entire full packer smoked brisket. I trimmed it, smoked it, nice 12-hour smoke, rested it for an hour, then put it in a warming drawer for three hours, brought it over. Huge hit. As one of the gents over at Davidoff said, and I can't repeat what it said, but it essentially was, Absolutely effing awesome. AFA. Everybody enjoyed it, and I said, it's going to cost you guys. I need one of my favorite cigars. Now, the cigar that I'm going to enjoy today and that I enjoyed on Thursday is not an inexpensive cigar. It is a super, super premium cigar. Special occasion cigar. The Davidoff Anniversario Double R Corona. Double Corona, seven and a half inches in length. 50 ring gauge. I mean, this thing will give you an hour and a half easily of cigar pleasure. So I'm a milder side. Mild, creamy notes of sweetness. It is an absolute delight. Now, when you look at the Davidoff white label line, there are numerous series in there. You start off on the mild side with the Davidoff Anniversario. Then you move to the, in terms of strength, the Davidoff Signature, then the Davidoff Grand Cru, then the Davidoff Millennium. But even the Millennium is more medium, medium plus. It's not super full. But the Anniversario, absolutely one of my favorite. I don't care if you get the Double R, the Special T, which is a torpedo, whether you get uh, their number three, 
a, a perfect short perfecto. They've got their special R Robusto. You can't go wrong. Now, this is not inexpensive. $42 per cigar. I remember when I first started buying these, back when I started the Cigar Dave Show in July of 1995. I was in Chicago just before I started the show, and I think I paid, at the time, 7 bucks or 8 bucks for one of these beautiful Davidoff double R's. Just a fantastic cigar. Now, let me tell you about the cigar architecture of this magnificent stick, because you cannot go wrong with this stick. It is just so absolutely pleasant. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, Dominican binder, Dominican filler. Been down to the factory, Hanky Kellner, for many years. Ran that factory, seeing the artisan rollers down there. Just a beautiful cigar, can't go wrong. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. And it went beautifully with just the camaraderie, the conversation, the laughs. That's what it's all about. You can't go wrong with that. So, Davidoff Double R Corona is what I will enjoy today. Now, before I go on to the litation uh, device cutter, while I was there, they gave me several items, several goodies, one of which is a cool Winston Churchill package that if you attend, go to any Davidoff White, no, not any, but they're doing about 30, 40 events uh, at these Davidoff White Label retailers. There's only about 200, 250 across the country, but if you attend one of these Winston Churchill events, you buy, I think, I don't know, four or five pack of cigar. They do a, an interesting series talking about the cigars. You get this cool package. And when it was presented to me, I opened this thing up. And I have to tell you, I mean, it was just absolutely fantastic. I, I couldn't believe it, just what's in here. Dane Devereaux, who's the product manager, does a lot of the these type of items for Davidoff. So generally, you got to have one of these. So let me pull this out here. And... I want to take out the entire thing in this box because it's one contiguous unit. Give me a second here. Okay. So there is, first of all, a, uh, a wood base. And on that wood base, there are four items. The first, actually five items. The first item is a beautiful rectangular ashtray. Profile of Sir Winston Churchill, the great prime minister of uh, England. Beautiful ashtray, and there are two areas, two cutouts where you can place your cigar. In the ashtray, there is actually a brush. You can probably hear that. You want to clean out your ashtray afterwards? Clean it out, use the brush. Towards the end, on the sides, there are these two devices. And when you pull them out, they are actually cigar holders. And they have a cork base on the bottom. I'm placing my Davidoff Double R Corona, double Corona right now on it. You place it right in the center and it balances your cigar. So even if there's only two spots in the ashtray and you are somewhere else, no problem. You can go ahead and do that. So it's very, very cool. So they've got two of those. And then in the center of that, there is a wood square holder. It is four matches. You can hear the long cigar cedar matches I have in there. So old school way of lighting your cigar. But that's exactly what I will use today. This is a. This is now going to stay here in Humidor 1A right by my microphone because now this is the ashtray that I will use. It is fantastic. You absolutely cannot go wrong with that. So that's exactly what I will use. So I've got that here, and that's what I'm going with to do. With an be. unlimited Oops, hit the wrong, Hit the wrong thing there. There we go. Okay, so that's what I will use. And now we are ready for the next item up for bids on the Cigar Dave Show Price is Right.
Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Well, I have got another gift that Dane gave me. It's a general for our AVO deal, for our AVO events, our special limited events. We have a Zycar, I call it a butterfly cutter, or an angel wing cutter, because when you open it up, it looks like angel wings. Double-edged stainless steel guillotine. You can't, you know, go back and forth. You open it like that, and then, boom, cut the cigar. It's got the AVO logo, very, very cool. I said, Dane, I will absolutely use that for the litation ceremony on not only this edition of Cigar Dave Show, but many others as well. So I got some great goodies here. These are beautiful, and if you go, if your retailer is a Davidoff white label or they carry AVO, chances are they may be doing an event. And once I find out about some of these events where they give away these cool items, I will relay it to you, because believe me, you get one of these items, you're gonna have this thing forever. What do we talk about? Quality, earlier in the show. People remember quality, trust me, you will remember this magnificent Winston Churchill uh, ashtray, cigar holder, and match holding device kit. Very, very cool, cannot go wrong. So today I'm going to use the AVO Angel Wing Cutter. Maximum BTU flame throwing and heat producing apparatus. Well, I'm going old school. I've got, I filled the entire Winston Churchill wood match holder with, I probably got about 30 or 40 of these three or four inch wood cedar matches. That's what I will use today. We're going old school, old fashioned, but such an elegant way to light your cigars. You absolutely cannot go wrong. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. And here it comes. Oh, perfect cut. All it took is one. Clear that out. I'm gonna put this back in the case. Protect this beautiful AVO Zycar cutter. Very, very cool. Very appreciative uh, to all the folks over at uh, Davidoff that uh, were very hospitable the entire uh, afternoon. We really got a chance to talk about some of the new products coming out, new Camacho, some new Avo, so some very, very interesting things that are that are coming up. So I've got all that, and I will, over the next couple of weeks, couple of months, we'll be telling you about that. All right, now we're going to go old school here. We are going to light our cigar using Cedar Match. Now, I like to use two cedar matches at once. With a long cedar cigar match, you really need one, but I just like two to get that nice big flame. Now, the cool thing is, on the bottom, on one of the sides, towards the bottom half of this Winston Churchill match uh, holder, matchbox, there is, you can hear that, an ability, a little striking area. You strike the match, boom. Now, I always pull the match downward at about a 45 degree angle. All right, we've got a nice flame here. So let me go ahead and up and rotate. Actually, before I do that, I'm gonna to toast the to the cigar. Now, on this Davidoff Double Arc Anniversario, you gotta take your time. I mean, believe me, $42, this is a super, super special cigar. You can't go wrong with it. I'm gonna light another one here. As I one around, there we go. Okay, so now taking my time. Now, let me give you an example. Many people are going to say, hey, General, $42, that's pretty stiff. Hmm. If I puff and rotate. Hmm. 
Oh, such an elegant way to light your cigar. Mm. Blow on the foot of the cigar. Perfect even amber glow. Stick the uh, ma uh, match in the ashtray. Put the match holder back into the onto the platform here. Fantastic. Now, you're saying general. 42 bucks. Come on. And you're right. It is indeed an expensive cigar. It's a super premium cigar. It is a special occasion cigar. Are you going to smoke a Davidoff Anniversario Double R Corona on the golf course or while you're hunting? Chances are not. But you're celebrating a promotion, a wedding, a divorce, the signing of your prenuptial agreement, of adding a new addition to your harem, or something good that happens in your life. Splurge. Splurge, because I guarantee you, yes, it's $42, but when you're done after that hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, you're not going to remember the price. You're going to remember the incredible taste, the aroma, the experience that that Davidoff Anniversario Double R Corona delivered to you. It's not for every, it's not an everyday cigar. Now there are, listen, if you're a, as Bernard Sanders would say, if you're a millionaire, billionaire, zillionaire, gazillionaire, yeah, you're going to smoke a Davidoff Anniversario Double R Corona every day. You're going to light your cigars with $100 bills. But most of us are not like that. We're not gazillionaires, trillionaires, billionaires. We do well. But do we want to spend $42? But again, maybe you do it once a month. Maybe do it once every six months, maybe just on those special occasions. And I guarantee you, you will be absolutely, you will, you will sit and you will just be enraptured and just engulfed in the taste, the aroma, the whole experience. So again, not for everyone. Had a friend of mine, just had a baby not too long ago. Called me up, he said, General, what cigars would you recommend? I want something super special. Top of the line, money is no object. All right. I said, well, how many cigars do you need? He goes, well, I'm handing out a lot, probably about 50, 60 cigars. I said, all right. I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions. But the top on the list, it's a mild cigar, whether you're a, mild, a, a, a novice connoisseur, you smoke once every five years for a special occasion, or you're a regular connoisseur, I recommended the Davidoff Anniversario Double R. He didn't even ask me the price. I said, but I'm going to tell you, it's about $1,100 a box, $1,200 with tax. I said, General, no problem. It's a special occasion. He said, I'm doing this once. I wouldn't do it every week, but I'm doing it once. And so to him, he enjoyed this cigar. Can't go wrong. It's a beautiful stick. Scotch, bourbon, beer. This is the Bold Alpha Weekly Spirits Tasting on the Cigar Dave Show. Through the magic of modern broadcast technology, I have moved from my comfortable perch inside the Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A studio down one story to the Cigar Dave Show kitchen and commissary area. And today I'm going to, for my libation, my Bold Alpha libation, I'm going to create a very unique type of espresso. Now, I have all the different coffee makers here in the Cigar Dave Show Commissary. We've got a regular Cuisinart drip. We've got a pour-over coffee maker, a French press coffee maker. We have two types of espresso machines. We've got an espresso that uses capsules and the classic espresso machine where we actually take the type of uh, some espresso coffee grounds, we tamp it into the little holder, and then it does it the old-fashioned way. Today, I will use the DeLonghi 
Nespresso machine for simplicity's sake. I came across earlier this week, and I can't remember where, whether it was on YouTube, whether it was on a social media site, I can't remember where, but I came across this method of making espresso, and it uses an orange slice. So today we will be creating espresso aranja. From Italian, that is orange espresso. So what we will do is, I have already cut an orange, a navel orange. I've cut it down. I, I cut the ends off, and then I just sliced about, I would say, quarter-inch uh, slices. Keep the, the rind on the orange, and what we will do is we will place the orange slice over the cup. And so when the espresso comes out of the machine, it will first fall into the orange and then it will fall through the little hole that I made. I just used the knife and just took out a little circular area in the center of the orange slice. And as it drips down, it adds a very unique, subtle note of citrus, a little bit of creaminess. It's very sublime and it is very delicious. Now that is the only way I want my espresso. So now when I go out to restaurants after dinner, I'm going to say you're going to have to provide this five-star with espresso aranja. All right, so first of all, let me open up the drawer here and see what we have. I've got a huge selection. I've got Illy Classico Espresso. I've got Illy Decaf. I've got Starbucks Regular and Decaf Espresso Roast. I've got the Nespresso Cafezino de Brazil Limited Edition. I've got Carmelito. I've got Explorations 2018. And I've got this one called Nespresso Charro, C-H-I-A-R-O. Nice creaminess to it. I think I'm going to use that. So let me take the capsule out. We will put it inside the machine. We tamp down. Now I've got my little espresso mug. It's a very small mug. I picked up. Got a few of those. I got all sorts of them here. But I like this mug because it's very easy to use with this particular type of method of creating espresso. I've got my orange slice. I'm going to place it on the center right on top of the mug. Now, one thing, when you do create the espresso and the espresso comes out of the machine, you want to be very careful. You want to somehow angle that orange just a little bit so that when the espresso falls onto the citrus, it goes right down to that hole and it goes right into your mug. So you got to be careful. So sometimes you may have to hold the orange slice, but the way I've got it sliced, it's already at an angle, so it should be very, very easy. All right, so now let us do this. I've got the capsule in, the Nespresso Shadow. I've got my mug placed down. I should also tell you I put five drops of liquid stevia. I don't use the powdered stevia because it's got, I think, maltodextrin or dextrose or some sort of other chemical, which is horrible. This is pure stevia, five drops. All right, here we go, and I'm going to start the machine. And I'm going to have my hand, just in case, I'm going to have it on the orange slice in case I need to adjust the angle of the orange slice. Here we go. You can hear the espresso. Oh, yeah. This is beautiful. Takes a little bit of adjusting. Fantastic. It is now coming right over the orange slice. And it is coming through the center hole that I've created. This is beautiful. You can hear the espresso being made. I can already smell the aroma of the espresso as well as the citrus. Mmm. Fabulous. Automatic shutoff because I've got the Nespresso machine programmed to the exact size of my mug. 
We will let the, the espresso just drip a little bit more. Fantastic, okay. And now what I'm going to do is, I'm going to stir. Okay, and then let me do this. I've got the orange slice. We're not gonna throw this away, not just yet. What I'm going to do is I'm going to slice the orange in half, then I'm gonna quarter it and I'm going to drop the quarter with the rind directly into the Nespresso. Now you can do one little slice, you can do two little, little wedge, whatever you want. There's no right, there's no wrong. I'm going to stir it. Let's now take a sip. Oh, absolutely magnificent. It is delicious. It's got sublime notes of the citrus. The espresso is softened up. Just adds a nice cream to it as well. A nice creme, as they say in Italy. Mmm. Absolutely fantastic. Nespresso, correction. Nespresso is a brand of machine and capsule. The correct term, espresso, not espresso. There is no X in espresso. Espresso aranja. Orange espresso, my bold alpha featured libation today. Gurkha mm. has long been the king Absolutely when it comes to marvelous. opulent, grandly made cigars. And the new Gurkha Pure Evil more than lives up to that legacy. Gurkha originally launched the Pure Evil 15 years ago as a limited edition cigar. They went back to their blend vault. They tweaked the blend to add more flavor, more complexity. The result is a Gurkha Pure Evil that is loaded with flavor, full body, Full notes of richness. Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. Don't let the name fool you. The Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Gurkha, the world's finest cigars. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Take a sip of my espresso arancha. Mmm. Absolutely delicious. I'll tell you what else is delicious. Enjoying cigars for off-season workouts. If you are a professional football player. Perfect example. Chicago Bears wide receiver DJ Moore. Classic. He was talking to some reporters. Asked, they were asking his off-season training regimen. He said, I don't work out in the off-season. I only drink Mountain Dew and smoke cigars. And he lives at Disney World. He stays in one of the hotels in Disney World the entire off-season. I'm not sure I'd stay at Disney World, but I will tell you this, and I'm not a Mountain Dew fan, but cigars, I think it's a great way to train. Give your body a rest. Enjoy some fine cigars, some pleasure, some relaxation. Is there anything really wrong with that? Not a thing. Good for DJ Moore. Now, we hear many athletes, and there are tons of athletes, that have no class. We've seen them, the way they act, the way that uh, with the public, with their fans, many of them are entitled. But I wanted to share with you the audio, the farewell of Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry. This is, is, his contract is up. He won't be returning. 
you know, running back like that, their shelf life is, and we're going to talk about professional shelf lives in just a moment, but usually you get five years, maybe six. I think he's been with the Titans seven years, eight years, somewhere along those lines. And he knows this is it. They're not going to bring him back. He'll he'll sign somewhere, and he will be not the the feature running back. But when you need him, he'll be there. And uh, he's he's going to add some juice to any team, especially a team that's maybe a playoff contender. But I want you to take a listen to what he had to say. He thanked all the people in the Titans organization, from coaches to strength trainers to the 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 people that that work in the dining room where all these teams usually have their own dining room so breakfast lunch sometimes even dinner provided they want their their players to eat you know healthy not junk so he thanked everybody even one of the members of the media this was 100 percent pure class definitely want to thank our equipment staff matt joey um, Jerome, um, David Manor, Jordan, uh, Justin, and, and Trey, who contribute that nobody sees, make sure I have everything that I have, and I'm ready to go on, on game days. And um, even our security, Jeb, that's my main man, and uh, him and John is making sure I'm, I'm set, anything that I need, anything that, you know, I got any questions about or, you know, uh, make me feel at home as possible. So I want to thank them as well. Um, the kitchen staff, Elon and her staff, um, Jeff, I'm going to thank everybody. Uh, Jeff, Johnny, Pam, uh, Miss Marilyn, uh, Chris, just all of them, just making sure that I had everything that I need and all our teammates, because um, I'm very specific on what I eat every morning. But, you know, and Bob with the avocados, making sure that I have my avocados every morning. So I want to say I appreciate them to the cleaning staff, to LaCoya, Johnny, um, Leroy. I'm cleaning that locker room when it smelled like the Nashville Zoo. And I appreciate them as well. So, you know, um, just want to thank even Robbie waiting on me two hours after the game. Um, Dwight, Puff, my guy. Um, you know, I'm just thankful for everybody who's been a part of this journey. And um, like you said, with the accomplishment, accomplishments that I had, you know, they play a big part in that. Um, just want to thank everybody. Nate with social media and Donna with the pictures, making sure I had, had everything I had and make sure I looked dripped out when the pictures were posted. So um, I'm just thankful for everybody and um, thankful to, to, to help me and to, to, get where, to get where I am. Even Jim with the great articles and making sure that you know, um, you put everything out there that uh, made me look um, professional, um, a great guy in this community, um, and, and, and everything you represent. I think you're a great guy, man. I think the word of you, and um, I hope one day you get a chance to be able to write that article about Titans winning the Super Bowl. Absolute class. Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry. I'd like to see more athletes do that because you look behind the scenes, there are a ton of trainers, there are a ton of equipment people, the dining room staff. I mean, he gave a shout out to virtually everybody, and I thought that was uh, extremely classy. So my, I, I really never heard Derek Henry before give an interview, but certainly my impression of him after hearing that is extremely high. All right, finally, every career has a shelf life. And I got thinking about this. When we saw some retirements in the NFL head coaching, or correction, a couple of firings of uh, some legendary coaches and a retirement of a legendary college football coach, and just some other things that, things that I saw throughout the last 
week, week or two. And it got me thinking, every career has a shelf life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've got a friend of mine who is a retired airline captain. And he's in great shape. Now, one time you had to retire at the age of 60. Then it was up saying, you know, 60 is pretty young. People today are living longer. They're active. They're, 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 they've got tremendous vitality. This isn't the, the life expectancy has gone up. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, you'd see people like my grandparents. I'd look at pictures and I'm like, oh, I'd tell my mother, how, how old were they uh, in that picture? Were they like, what, in their 80s? Uh, no, they were like 55. It's so different today. I mean, look at dames. Look at women that are in their 60s, 70s that just look fantastic. They work out. They look great. It is so different today than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so the airline industry, the FAA, and the world aviation authorities looked and said, we looked at all the statistical data, and there's no reason why pilots cannot fly until 65. Their, their reflexes are still good, their mental capacity, physical capacity. Remember, every airline pilot has to have a physical every six months and once a year an EKG. And what the FAA and the world organizations, the ICAO did, is they said, well, what we'll do is if you are flying, if there's a 65-year-old pilot, captain, you have to have a first officer that is 60 or less. So you didn't have two people above the age 60 threshold. Now, he just retired a year ago. Good friend of mine. Great captain, great pilot, great general all around, alpha, loves cigars, A1. It's my buddy Captain Eric, and he's been on the show before. Captain Eric could go for another 10 years, no problem. But unfortunately, the FAA mandates and says, okay, it's 65, that's it. So here's a guy that, and, and before, an average airline captain or pilot shelf life, if they started at, say, 25, let's say they came out of the military or they train, I mean, basically they had a 35-year career. That was it, 60. Now it pushes it to a 40-year career. You start earlier than that, maybe you start with the airline at 20 or, or a regional at 22, 23, you get more than 40 years. But... Airline captains, airline pilots have a shelf life. And it's no different than anything else. I'm reminded of Dick Clark. Dick Clark was a really a maverick in the world of television entertainment. Actually went to Syracuse University, my alma mater. From Utica, New York originally got into radio, moved to Philadelphia, American Bandstand, goes to Hollywood, rest is history. But it wasn't just American Bandstand. He created game shows, or I think it was the $10,000 pyramid to start. The Dick Clark's Rockin' Eve New Year's that he did for I don't know how many years. He had an incredible career. But he didn't know when to say when. And unfortunately, he had a, a stroke, and it was just very difficult for him to return to what he was. It was, it was horrible because Dick Clark, just a vibrant guy. He, I mean, always looked young. He was in his 70s. He looked like he was in his you know 40s, 50s. But watching him the last few years on New Year's Rock and Eve was just very difficult. Didn't know when to say when. There are times where you are told, this is it. There are times when you say, you know what? It's I'm ready. Been there, done it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I hear people say, well, the second you retire, that's it. You know, you end up in the ground. Well, that's if you don't have anything else going on. So here's some interesting 
people that I wanted to bring up talking about shelf life. Nick Saban, voluntarily, after 16 years as the head coach at the University of Alabama, tremendous career, probably will go down as the all-time greatest college football coach. Retired, 72. Now, he didn't have a farewell tour. He didn't have a farewell season saying, I'm going to retire next year. When the season was done, I think within about a week, he was still in his office. He was interviewing potential assistant coaches for next season. And then an hour later, went into the locker room. He had a a, a speech with his team, decided, and he had talked to his wife, and she said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know. But he said, when I walked into into the auditorium to talk to the team, I made my decision. I knew what I was going to do. And he retired. And I think he was tired of the NIL, this name, image, likeness. It's, it's made it more like professional sports where you're dealing almost with free agents in the portal. And look, you have a tremendous career, 72 years uh, of age. He said, I got all the money I need. He bought a retirement, he bought a, not a retirement home, beautiful home down in Jupiter Island about a year ago. So the handwriting was already on the wall. And he said, that's it. 72, had a great run. I'm going out on my terms. I'm not going to be dragged out like Joe Paterno or Bobby Bowden or many other coaches. Jim Beheim, perfect example. There comes a time where you say, that's it. I had a great career. I'm going to leave on a high note. And many Alabama fans would would have said, come on, just another year, another two years. Give us three years. Someone told me when you do a show, No matter the length of the show or how many years, always leave them wanting more. That if your show is two, I had people saying, General, why don't you go to three hours? Two hours isn't long enough. And I always remember what someone told me, always leave them wanting more. Two hours was great, three hours too long. And there's going to come a time where I say, you know what? Look, I don't want to do the Cigar Dave show anymore. Did it. We're now going on, what, 28 years? Hey, great run. And that's how I looked at it when we were on terrestrial radio. We did a 25-year run on terrestrial radio. Huge number of affiliates. Still adding affiliates until a month before I made the decision that we're going to go all podcasting. Because what happened? The industry changed. The business changed. Technology changed. Now, I'm holding up my iPhone. You can't see it. People listen to this show, and they were listening to this show, not so much on terrestrial radio, although we had a great audience on terrestrial radio, but we would see people would listen to our archive Monday afternoon, 5.15. That was the number one time. And as technology changed and evolved, we looked and said, we don't need to deliver via satellite anymore on these radio stations, many of which ended up going with paid garbage programming on weekends. So we made that decision. Haven't regretted it. Haven't looked back. But there comes a time where everyone says, you have to say, I've had a great run. Now it's time. So Nick Saban made that decision himself. Two coaches that didn't. Bill Belichick, who is everywhere you go. He's the GOAT, greatest of all time. Greatest coach ever in the NFL. He's still, I think, 13 victories short of Don Shula, if I'm not mistaken. Wait, let me me just take a look at NFL career, NFL... Head coach, career, wins. I believe it's Don Shula. I could be wrong, but I want to just be sure. Win leaders. Here we go. So let's see. Yep, Don Shula. So Don Shula, 328 career wins. George Hallis is number two at 318. And Bill Belichick, 302. So he is now 
26 wins away. Not going to happen. I don't see any teams hiring him at 72. The rumor was Atlanta had two interviews. Nobody else is biting. Why? Because it's time. The game changes. The game evolves. Bill Belichick hasn't. You hear the old adage, the game has passed him by. Take a look at the coaches being hired now. They're in their 30s, 40s. These coaches will have a run for the next 20 years, and then you'll see a new crop of coaches. Just like we saw quarterbacks, we had the Jim Kellys, the Dan Marinos, the John Elways. And they gave way to the Ben Roethlisbergers, to the Russell Wilsons, to the Peyton Mannings, to the Tom Brady's who now have given way to the Josh Allens, the Patrick Mahomes, to the, to the quarterbacks who are now at that age where they are going into their prime. They're now in their mid-20s. They're going to go into their prime. And we'll see in another 10, 12, 14 years, another changing of the guard. That's how it goes. That's how it evolves. Now, when you look at Bill Belichick's record, it's very interesting. When you take a look at his record without Tom Brady, he's a marginal coach. I mean, I'm looking right now at Cleveland. He was 36 and 44 in five years with a 450 win percentage. Now, before Tom Brady, let's see, the first year in 2000, he was 5 and 11. They won the Super Bowl in 2001. And I'm trying to remember, I believe that was with Tom Brady. I think that was his first, first year as the, as, the, uh, as the quarterback for the Patriots. So, when you strip out, like the last number of years, is a perfect example. Here is his record. In 2020, he was 7 and 9. In 2021, he was 10 and 7. 2022, 8 and 9. 2023, 4 and 13. So he's an average coach at best when you take out Tom Brady. So are people running now to hire Bill Belichick? No, Pete Carroll, very youthful, 72. Nobody's running to hire Pete Carroll again. He had a great run. USC, incredible run. The Seahawks, they won a Super Bowl. Should have won two. Incredible run. You take a look at some people in entertainment. Judge Judy Scheinlin. I happened to see her. She was doing an interview with uh, Nimarata Haley earlier this week. She made a boatload of money hosting Judge Judy. Boatload. In excess of... $500 $500 million is the, is the figure. She's 81 now. Now, two years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, she was ending the Judge Judy show because she no longer, I think there was a period where she no longer had the, uh, a, a big contract, the ownership. And so at that point, Judge Judy's still available in syndication. However, she's not hosting. She's, she's still on it. They haven't recorded any new episodes in three years. So she went with Amazon and now created another show called Justice Judy. You're trying to do the same thing, and it had a long run. I think the Judge Judy show was on for 23 years. It ran its course. Now she's trying to do this other show, Justice Judy, and I happened to be flicking around, and I saw it on Amazon uh, on Prime. It's now on their Freebie channel. It was horrible. Same thing, same shit, different episode. It ran its course. Every career has a shelf life. I don't care who it is. Oprah Winfrey, she went out on a high note. She could have done the show another five, ten years, no problem. She said, I'm done. Dr. Oz, he went into politics, but he had had it. Made a ton of money. Look at Johnny Carson. 
Johnny Carson, the longtime host of The Tonight Show, the GOAT, the greatest evening talk show host of all time. Nobody will come near it. Nobody. His ability, his comedic ability, his timing, the guests. Johnny Carson was the greatest of all time. He hit a point where he said, you know what? The audience is changing. The guests are changing. I'm changing. Had a great run. It's time. And when he left, he didn't go out and make tons of appearances. He didn't need to be in the public eye. He was a shy guy to begin with. But when he was done, I think he was on Letterman once or twice, did maybe a couple interviews, but he really said, you know what? I'm going out of the public eye. Did my thing. It's now time. Ellen DeGeneres, her show incredibly popular. Now, she had some missteps along the way, the way she treated some of her crew. That kind of, uh, that, there was some backlash there, boomeranged on her, and people realized that ah, maybe she's not the sweet, kind person she really portrays on during her show. But she could have gone on probably another five years, no problem. But there was a mutual decision between her and the syndicator that it's time. Great run, made a ton of money. Everybody has their time. Now, you look at a guy like Mitch McConnell, as I call him, Fossil McConnell. Mitch is going to be 82 next month. It's long past time. There's nothing wrong with saying everybody's career has a shelf life. And when people tell me, oh, you know, I want to work till I drop dead. Why? I had somebody tell me one time, it was in the public eye. He said, nope, I would be happy going out, you know, on camera, dropping dead right on camera. And I said, wait a minute, your entire legacy that you've had is going to be destroyed in one second by you dropping dead live on the air. Now, come on. But some people can't give it up. Some people don't know when to say, hey, had a great career, shelf life, it's over. And I don't care if you're an attorney, you're a physician, you're an entrepreneur, you're a broadcaster, you're a pilot, you're a plumber, you're a contractor, everybody has a shelf life. And today, with people living longer, in much better condition, the opportunity to enjoy your retirement, I love when they say your golden years. I don't like calling it that. It's just the next chapter in your life. You have your working chapter and now the enjoyment chapter. Get to enjoy the fruits of all those many years of labor. So every career has a shelf life. And we saw two examples, three examples. Two NFL coaches get whacked. Couldn't, couldn't, didn't know when to say it's time. And a college football coach, the greatest college football coach in history, Nick Saban said, I'm 72, it's time. Didn't make a big deal about it. Didn't have a big public press conference, made the announcement. And then he attended his successor's press conference, which I thought was very classy. And already said, whatever Kalen DeBoer needs, the new head coach, I will be there for him. But he's not, going to, he's not going to overshadow him. He's not going to be on the sidelines. He had a great run, and now he knows when to step back and enjoy it. He's going to do TV. He'll be great at that. I'm sure he's going to do some other projects. He'll still do commercials because he's well-known. Every career has a shelf life. Don't fight it. Enjoy the ride. All right, as always, you can follow me at uh, Twitter. Now, X. I'm, I'm done saying Twitter. Uh, X, formerly Twitter. Everybody knows by now it's X at Cigar Dave Show. Facebook Cigar Dave, Instagram Cigar Dave, Truth and Getter Cigar Dave. And you can always email me Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com, Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. 
Mayor Cutter will always be sharp. Mayor Ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Hashtag Trump 2024. Hashtag America first. Hashtag close the damn border. That is all.